All right, before we get started with this podcast, we need to talk about something. Friends, it, it feels like the whole world can literally change for the worse overnight. You're following the news stories. With what's likely coming for our country, there is one thing you should do, and that's prepare. When you're more self-reliant, you're closer to freedom from any national crisis or job loss or economic downturn. But where do you start, and who can you trust? Let me make this clear. Building an emergency food supply to feed yourself and your family is a wise first step. And our friends at My Patriot Supply will help you prepare. Get four weeks emergency food supply for only $99, shipped free. That's 140 adult servings of easy to prepare food order today 888-457-3453 888-457-3453 or go online at preparewithcr.com that's preparewithcr.com build your emergency food supply for only $99 limit two units per caller 888-457-3453 or online at preparewithcr.com that's 888-457-3453 or at preparewithcr.com. All right, now let's get to the podcast. We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV, and you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Thursday here on the Salem Radio Network. Thanks for tuning into the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we're going to zero in again on what I think is the most important decision of the, uh, the at least Trump's first term, should there be a second. And that is the decision of who will replace Antonin Scalia, which he announced yesterday is coming on uh, Thursday, so a week from today. And because I think it's so important, we're going to be spending time on this leading up to this decision. So we'll uh, do so again here in 15 minutes. But I want to go to our team here on the show right from the outset tonight. And I want to ask you a question because I want to give you a proposition. Are you willing to make this trade? And the trade I'm speaking of is the sort of trade I think people like us are going to have to be able or willing to to, to make or at least confront occasionally, if not periodically, if not consistently over the next four years. All right. So earlier today, it was reported 
that Alex Jones of Infowars, the discredited conspiracist who thinks Sandy Hook never happened, America brought the towers down, and and some chemical in the water is, quote, making the friggin' frogs gay, okay? Uh, that Alex Jones, who, by the way, who does have a large audience, all right? His, Can you put that in context? Honestly, what does large mean? I, I don't know. Um, large enough that Donald Trump, who we all agree makes the most utilitarian choice he could he can make in every situation thought it was worth the hit he would take by entertaining him to do so how about that large that large enough for you okay that trump thought it was worth whatever whatever he was going to take whatever grief he would take in order to entertain jones and appeal to his audience to support him he thought it was worth it to him a very successful businessman, so a decent bullet in his trolling arsenal. Yes, okay. he thought it was. Is that, a, that so? There's some audience there, right? Okay. Some audience there. I mean, why did Donald Trump befriend me? If I, if I, if everything about me was all the same, but I lived in Idaho and not Iowa, would would that have happened? No. Well, let's walk that back. You just made an analogy that compared you to Alex Jones. That uh. is not good marketing, brother. <laughs> no. No, and apparently some people didn't get my pronoun usage on this earlier today either on social media. But huh. that's another story. Anyway. <laughs> So the, it was reported earlier today that Jones and Infowar has been granted White House press corps credentials. <laughs> and, and people in the media lost their minds. Now, the White House a few hours later denied that this is the case. All right. But, but let's, say that it's not, let's say that it is true. Let's say that it is true that Infowars was granted a White House press credential by Trump. Would you be willing to trade that in exchange for Trump using the bully pulpit like he did today to impromptu in the middle of a live interview on ABC at the White House say, hey, how come you guys ignore this March for Life every single year? And put it on him right there live on camera. Sending his vice president, Mike Pence, to address the march. He's the first vice president ever that's addressed the march. Never happened in the Reagan years. Uh, never ha- Dick Cheney never addressed it. He's- Dan Quayle never addressed it. All right. Uh, appointing the kind of just a, a true pro-life justice next week to the U.S. Supreme Court. All right. In other words, would you put up with how uncomfortable and unseemly legitimizing a quack like a, a discredited one? Although I got to give the devil his props, give the devil his due when he deserves it. When, the way Jones walked through that Black Lives Matters crowd last week at the uh, at the inaugural, mm-hmm. I saw that. I'm like, like a boss. All right, that was a boss move, man. <laughs> Get the devil his dude. Just walk through those guys like he owned the joint. All right? But would you put up with how uncomfortable that is, the precedent it would set, legitimizing somebody who's clearly not legitimate? Would you make the trade for some of the substantive things I mentioned on an issue that, for us on this show, pro-life isn't an issue. It is a transcendent moral imperative slash crisis. Would you make this sort of trade? Because I, I, I think we're going to have to make these sorts of calculations a lot the next four years. Aaron? Um, the, the, the premise that you're working at is that the other media that's always been granted, like from ABC and NBC and that's MSNBC. That's a good answer. I hear where you're going. I see where you're going. MSNBC. Yeah. Okay. You're, the, the premise that you're working from here is that they are legitimate. What's the difference? What's the difference between them and and Infowars? Now that so, is that is the that is the appropriately appropriate snotty instant re, instant hot take to my proposition, which is this is this is this the same? You want to talk fake news? You mean the ABC that I do mm-hmm. issue an apology yesterday 
because they took Ari Fleischer, former Bush White House spokesman's comments, out of context to make it look like he was ripping Sean Spicer, who, by the way, we have no problem with ripping Sean Spicer on this show, but at least be honest about it. Don't have to lie about it. Fleischer calls him on it. They, the next day, have to issue an apology. Is that what you're saying? I mean, why is that yeah. any, why is what Alex okay. Jones does uh, yeah. any more legitimate than that stuff? Is that the claim you're making? Yeah. The, I mean, because you know, lies, there's a lot of people in our audience that are probably saying, preach. Yeah. Amen. Lies, Can lies, I get a second right about now? Uh, lies are lies. Uh, whether or not you're lying about something Sean Spicer said, or you're talking about chemicals and water making, um, you know, uh, frogs gay. Lies are, I mean, just myths are myths and lies are lies. I don't see a difference between the two. That was a beautiful riff on journalism is magical and not yeah. at all broken. Yeah. I, I thank you for that. Yes. I'm trying to think, listen, before the election, you're a, we're never to Trump. This is not a bargain we were willing to make then. It's why we were erring on the side of all the crazy was going to be more likely than anything. That's why we weren't willing. It's not that we weren't willing to make this bargain. We didn't think this was the bargain. That's well, the well, issue. Yeah, it was, we didn't think if we didn't right. think he would follow through yes. on these things and we'd get all the cray cray and none of and none of the stuff we're talking about right now. Yes. So if the, this almost week now is indicative of his level of energy and authenticity. I would say I will absolutely take that bargain because the crazy was baked into the cake. We knew that was coming no matter what. We weren't sure if he was going to be re- and I'm still not sure, but if if this is something approaching real, I would take that bargain in a way that's again akin to the fact that this whole thing with Trump, we're hoping we're playing Russian roulette with one bullet in the chamber instead of five. So, Aaron, let me throw it back to you. Mm-hmm. Your initial answer is the most correct one, obviously, uh, and, and, and well done. But now that you've given that answer, make the calculation here. Would you take the bargain that Todd says he would take this bargain? Would he, would, he would go along with it. Yeah, I, I think that's easy. Um, I, if 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 we are if this you know if this um, bargain that you're setting up here, if this theoretical that you're setting up here, um, yes, if we get all the uh, the good stuff, and we have to accept some of the the cray cray or some of the uh, whatever this would be with granting uh, press credentials to Infowars or people like him, fringe type of news agencies. Um, then yeah, I'll take that effort. I mean, for for instance, let's say let's say the bargain was uh, we're going to repeal Roe v. Wade somehow, some way, or we are going to indeed end all taxpayer funding of abortion. But also, Alex Jones is at every White House press conference. To me, I I don't care. Cause see, I don't care if he makes Alex Jones first chair of the White House press corps yep. if he is serious. Trump mm-hmm. meaning, but are, apparently pronouns are hard for 21st century Americans. Okay, so the he in this case, guys, is Trump, not. Jones, as a few people on my Twitter account to earlier today, clearly couldn't follow. I don't care if he makes Alex Jones the first chair of the Washington Press Corps, if he gives him the Helen Thomas Lifetime Achievement Award, if he is serious about helping us save the babies. But I ran into, when I said this on social media earlier today, I ran into several people who lost their poop that I would say this. The credibility of the White House and all this other stuff, Okay. Todd, you want to respond? Well, to we talked about this yesterday or a couple of days ago, but this is perhaps the entire point 
of Sean Spicer and this whole press corps to have it just be a 24-7 hot mess that perpetuates his perceived perceived and or real success in the election. A rope-a-dope. While over here, he goes on and just takes names in actual governing. Uh, yeah, mom also. Uh, Mama used to tell me credibility is as credibility does. Yo, um, don't don't wrap your your credibility up with the media that's reporting on you. Just go out and make yourself credible. So I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of some of our conservative friends who don't see what you and I. Because well, I didn't ask you guys ahead of time no. tonight when we came on the air. I didn't say, hey, here's what I'm going to ask you. Get your answer ready. And you never I, do. I never. I wanted to spring this on you right away to get a visceral reaction. Okay, so I did not know how you guys were going to answer. All three of us, to some degree, then, have the same thought on this. Help me understand why there are some people whose opinions I respect that I ran into today that saw this completely differently. What is the rationale, do you think? Um, this, this Because I not, don't understand that. This is uncomfortable. This is not what they're used to. And so... It's, 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 it's uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like this. Because my like issue with Trump was not these hijinks. My issue with Trump was I didn't think we'd get anything in exchange for putting up with them. But if he's going to give us this stuff, I'm long-suffering in the hijinks department. Trust me. You're listening to Steve Dace. What a blaze of glory sounds like. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show here on the Salem Radio Network, powered by Conservative Review. As I said at the top of the show, we are going to be spending a lot of time uh, the next few nights talking about what I think is the most important barometer of the Trump presidency, and that will be the decision to replace Antonin Scalia. And, and why I think it's important, because this one has to get nailed. This has to be a hundred percenter, because this is not the one that will tip the balance ide- ideologically in the court. This is how you maintain it, so that when either Ruth Bader Ginsburg or likely Anthony Kennedy, who are both in their 80s, or somebody else steps down, that's your fifth vote on many of these issues right here. That's the one where there's the political all-out warfare over that one. But this one, you need to make sure you have a Scalia for a Scalia, because if you don't get a hundred percenter here, it almost renders and neuters that next uh, appointment even before that fight comes up. So we're taking a long look, long look, I should say, at who these nominees are. One of the best summaries I have read was in World Magazine this week. Uh, J.C. Derrick, who's the co-author of the piece, he joins us now here on the Steve Day Show. J.C., how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Steve. I want to get your view, by the way, on, on my setup, on the importance of this appointment, and just whether you think, uh, whether you agree, disagree, want to add any context to that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I, I was uh, thinking that as you as you spoke, that uh, I, I think you nailed it. Um, not only is it uh, a, a big story, but it is the story of, of this presidency. You know, Trump was right to to campaign on this issue because uh, for many uh, evangelicals who who had uh, issues with with him, be it character or uh, you know former former beliefs, uh, you know former affiliation with Democrats or whatever that their problems were, many of them overcame it uh, because of the Supreme Court issue. So you really can't understate the importance of this. And I've just been honestly really surprised over the last 
few weeks, uh, there's really been very little coverage of this. And, uh, you know, people are too busy covering, uh, you know, Trump's spat with John Lewis and, and, and crowd sizes and, you know, really substantial stories. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, we have, we're about to appoint someone to the Supreme Court who will probably be there for 30 or 40 years. So uh, these, these folks need to be well vetted for sure. How important was this issue in Trump winning? One in five voters, according to exit polls, said Supreme Court appointments was the most important issue they voted on. One in five. That was higher than terrorism. That was higher than immigration. That was higher than the deficit. The only job, I'm sorry, the only issue that surpassed importance with voters than Supreme Court appointments was the economy. And amongst those one in five voters, JC, who said they voted primarily on judges, they went to Trump by 17 points. That's right. That's right. I mean, I think uh, uh, so many in the conservatives, uh, uh, in the conservative movement, but then especially uh, with, within evangelicals, which is uh, sort of our our sweet spot uh, of coverage and our and our readership. Uh, so many of them said that this is the issue. And I mean, when you think about how many issues there are. For one in five voters decided as the top issue, that really is a remarkable number. So many people uh, really understood the importance of this issue. You took a look at what you guys believe are the top four candidates for this job. Three of them are names that are being bandied about that our audience is familiar with. There's a fourth we'll talk about who may not be, and that's Raymond uh, Kethledge. We'll get to him in a moment. I want to, to give you to give for you to give our audience. The, the the scouting report that you guys have assembled on all four of these candidates individually. Let's start with Neil Gorsuch. What have you heard about him? Sure. Neil Gorsuch is the youngest of, of the, the this group of four. Uh, he's only 49, so he has a lot, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of time, uh, theoretically, that he would be spending on the, on the court. Um, so far, the, we really have not found any significant pushback to him, uh, which is not the case uh, with everybody on the list. Um, there, there, he really has a strong record overall. Um, he has not, he's not had a, there's not a, a lot of evidence um, on, on state past statements or, or, or cases uh, on the pro-life issue specifically. But um, one thing a lot of people overlooked is the fact that he, he wrote of assisted suicide and, and euthanasia. And it's actually a very, on the whole, a, a very life-affirming uh, book, and as, as I'm sure your listeners know, uh, that uh, assisted suicide, end of life decisions. I mean, these, these are huge issues that will only get bigger uh, as we move forward. So that that is a, a significant thing to have on on the record. Um, and he also studied um, uh, under John Finnis, who is a famous philosopher, who is the the same person that uh, Princeton University uh, professor Robert P. George uh, studied under. Um, at Oxford University. So a lot of quality uh, uh, credentials and, and, and people that, that stick up for, for Gorsuch and say this, this guy would interpret the Constitution. Uh, he's an originalist, a, federal, a, a, a textualist, and, and someone who would um, uh, be great on the Supreme Court. So a lot of positives for Neil Gorsuch. Robbie George is an opinion I, I have a lot of respect for. He says in your, in your column, quote, uh, Neil Gorsuch is someone that I'm, quote, enthusiastically supporting, unquote. Last night, we had Andy Schlafly from Eagle Forum on talking about these judges. He says he's gone, he went to law school with Gorsuch. He's known him for years since they were growing up. He's never known him to do anything pro-life, to take any definitive st- stance on this one way or the other. Uh, and, and he's worried he's another David Souter. What's your, what's your take on that? 
No, I mean, that, that's, that's the issue that, that some people have is the, the lack of record uh, on, the, on the pro-life issue. So, I mean, I, I do think it's a, fair, it's a fair concern that most of these people uh, do not have the kind of statement that, and, and we'll get to, to, to Bill Pryor here in a minute, but most people don't have the kind of, of strong statements on the record that Bill Pryor does. Now, having said that, that also makes them, you know, prior less confirmable. Whereas someone who who has been more quiet about their beliefs, um, I think, is is uh, you know much more confirmable. But in the case of Gorsuch, I mean, again, the book he wrote is very, very much life affirming. So I, I I think that's a pretty strong, if slightly indirect, uh, in, endorsement of him on the life issue. All right. All right. We've got a break here. I'm going to hold you over, if you don't mind, during the break, because I want to I want our sure. audience to hear what you guys have researched on these judges. Let's sure. let's begin okay. the scouting report on Thomas Hardiman. He's the one people probably know the least about, from my understanding. But go ahead. That's right. Hardiman um, and, and Gorsuch is an Ivy Leaguer, but the other uh, it's interesting, the other three are not. And there's been a lot of criticism of the Supreme Court because, uh, you know, they're all sort of... Uh, Mostly East Coast elites, Ivy League, you know, uh, six of them are Catholic, you know, very, very similar thinking in, in a lot of these people. And so um, several of these, the next three we'll talk about, are, are not um, of, of that ilk. And so Hardiman actually uh, grew up um, in, in Massachusetts, but uh, to a very, you know, basically a poor, poor family and uh, drove a cab to pay for law school uh, at Georgetown University. Um, and also, interestingly, he, he serves alongside Trump's sister on the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. So uh, she has reportedly been, been uh, really pushing Trump to, to consider Hardiman because she thinks he's, he would be a great pick. So a um, lot of interesting stuff about this guy. You know, he's fluent in Spanish, um, has, has done extensive volunteer work, and um, he dissented in one significant ruling against an evangelical mom who tried to read a Bible verse during her kindergartner's. Uh, all about me presentation and uh, was was told that, that you know oh he can't do that at school and uh, the court upheld that that uh, that ruling but Hardiman called it viewpoint discrimination so uh, certainly has, has evidence that, that that he will stand up for uh, for religious freedom and uh, you know he gets he gets unequivocal uh, support from from people uh, who who have been very critical of somebody like Bill Pryor. All right, when we come back, J.C. Derrick is here with us from World Magazine. We're taking an in-depth look at some of the names, the most prominent names being bandied about to be Trump's replacement for Antonin Scalia. Stay tuned. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. No wasted ammo. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here with J.C. Derrick wrote a co-wrote uh, an excellent in-depth look at four of the top names that speculation is speculating uh, are prominent on Donald Trump, President Trump's list to replace Antonin Scalia at the U.S. Supreme Court. We talked about Neil Gorsuch talking now about Thomas Hardiman. You guys include a quote from a buddy of mine, Kelly Shackelford at First Liberty Institute, who gives rave reviews in terms of religious liberty to both Gorsuch and Hardiman. But there's another quote in your Hardiman piece that I'm I'm troubled by. I'm a big fan of Alliance Defending Freedom. Uh, another friend of mine, uh, Michael Ferris, was just hired to run the organization. But there's a quote you guys have in there that I think is one of the problems we have as, as, as conservatives and as evangelicals looking at the judges. Qu- 
quote, I think if the president nominates him, it would be good, said this attorney from ADF, who you guys add, who also admitted he doesn't know a lot about him other than he has a solid reputation. What what in the world does I mean, this is a life and death decision. Literally, we've got to have something more solid than that, don't we? That, that, that is a very, very fair criticism. Uh, I, I think as I talked to people um, back in November, right after the election, the Federalist Society had their, their uh, annual conference here in D.C., and I, I went and was interviewing some people and a very, very well-informed you know, legal minds. And there were, it was interesting, the group think that was going on, because there were quite a few of them who were, who were like, well, I, you know, I, I don't really know. You know. These are the two best names I've heard. I don't know of any reason why. And you know why they're the two best names yeah, I heard? Because that's what everybody here at the Federalist Society says. Right. These would be great. Right. But, right. No, no merit at all. Just total networking and tribalism. No merit. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and you mentioned Kelly Shackelford. You know, his, he and his group have done extensive research into mm-hmm. uh, into the the various candidates, all twenty one, and uh, you know have, have found issues with certain ones of them. And it's interesting. There aren't issues with all of them. It's not. You know, some people will say, "Oh, you're going to have a problem with everybody." That is not true. There are some on here. Who, who, as he just said, you know, Kelly considers both Hardiman and Gorsuch. After extensive research for him to to endorse both of them, um, I, I actually put a good bit of weight in that because he actually is speaking from position of uh, extensive knowledge about the record. Let's go to and Bill Pryor. Things, I'm sorry, you want to finish that thought? Go ahead. Yeah, before before we jump to Bill Pryor, I just wanted to say that it, I think it's also important to note that you know, we, you know these names are being bandied about, but I just want to let your listeners know that we have confirmed this with advisors, uh, you know, in the both in the administration and people very very close to the administration. So it's not just hypothetical. Um, as of uh, you know yesterday afternoon, we confirmed this information. These are the four who who are are in the running. Not to say it couldn't change between now and when the announcement happens next week, but um, we, we have a high sense of probability that it, it will be one of these four that we're talking about today. The candidate that was the favorite up until the last week or so is Bill Pryor. Now. For me, Bill Pryor to me is synonymous with what happened with Judge Roy Moore. And even the quote you attribute to him from an interview you guys did with him at the time, for those that don't know, um, he was the attorney general that the Bush administration essentially sicked on getting rid of Judge Roy Moore. When he stood up for the very principles that we actually are trying to stand up for as conservatives. And there's this quote here, quote, no person is above the law. We have to abide by the law even when we disagree with it. That is the guiding principle of my public service, unquote. That is not our legal philosophy as believers. That is the legal philosophy as positivists, of statists. That is the judge played by Burt Lancaster, uh, Lancaster, Lancaster, I should say, in, uh, in, in Judgment at Nuremberg, who says, you can't execute me for what I did here in Germany. I had to abide by the law. I did everything I could. I found every loophole to save as many people as I could. And when I ran out of loopholes, I had to go by what the law said. And they hung him by the neck anyway, JC, because there's a higher law than that. And that's the point that Judge Roy Moore was trying to make. And that's the point that Bill Pryor used his political capital with the Bush administration to slap down. And I've always had a real problem with that. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think a lot of people uh, maybe have kind of forgotten about it, but I do know that in talking to various people in the legal community, um, as you noted, I mean, there's certainly a difference of opinion about how he should have handled that. Um, but but many people were willing to overlook it. Honestly, I mean, they, they were they were going to they were giving him a fresh fresh look. And that is. I don't know. You guys quoted somebody earlier who said, "I've got no idea if he's a good judge, but I think he'd be great to place in the Supreme Court." So, I'm not surprised right. to hear that. Right. Exactly. But I mean, there, there are people who are very well informed. Who, who, uh, yeah. I mean, and and 
there's a mix, certainly a mixture of people. Everybody's got an opinion, but there's certainly a mixture. But I, I think it's important to note that that's not even the number one reason why people people uh, have have risen up against uh, against Bill Pryor. Um, there are two specific cases, and I won't go into too much detail, but there are two specific cases. Uh, one dealing directly with. Um, uh, religious liberty, where uh, basically the court ruled, and this was it wasn't on the merits of the case. It was actually ruling that the student couldn't have an injunction against um, the school that was trying to to uh, uh, carry out a uh, what what uh, ba- basically there was a Christian counseling student at a state college who was expelled after she refused to uh, agree to quote remediation measures, things like attending a gay pride parade, uh, which were intended to change her views. Hold your thought right there. We'll come back. I'm up against a break. JC Derrick is here from world magazine, dropping some much needed knowledge on us here about this Supreme court pick more in just a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. The truth, straight, no chaser. Steve Dace. All right, back here with J.C. Derrick from World Magazine, and they have put out, at least what I've read so far, one of the definitive looks at the four justices that uh, speculation is centering around, Trump naming on Thursday when he comes forth with his pick to replace Antonin Scalia. And we're, we're talking about number three here, Bill Pryor, why he's lost favor to some conservatives recently and, and beyond even my um, disdain for his handling of the Roy Moore situation. You were mentioning, J.C., a couple of recent rulings that he's been a part of that gave people cause for pause. Yes. Uh, the first one is called Keaton versus w- uh, Anderson Wiley, and it involved a Christian counseling student who, whom a, uh, a state college expelled after she refused to agree to an, a, a remediation measures, basically, that were designed, or a remediation plan, I should say, that was designed to change her views about homosexuality. So uh, Pryor was part of a three-judge panel that ruled against uh, the, the student's request for an injunction against what the school was trying to do to her. So it wasn't on the merits of the case specifically, and that's what some of Pryor's defenders would note. But basically, uh, the, the, the panel ruled against the student, and uh, while he did uh, uh, issue a separate opinion saying, you know, religious freedom is, is important, you know, we should be careful about the message we're sending here, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, uh, you know, she ruled against the student, and uh, we mentioned we were talking about Alliance Defending Freedom. This was actually a, an ADF case involving uh, the student which they were representing. Uh, but the most the most troubling uh, case is actually one called Glenn v. Brumby, and both of these are from December of 2011, and we link to them in our in our story. But um, basically, it was a case involving a biological male who was fired after he said he basically announced to his bosses that he wanted to dress as a woman and and would, was going to begin uh, treatments to to transition uh, to to being female. So. Um, he got fired, and Pryor again concurred with the circuit court's uh, uh, liberal former judge Rosemary Barquette, who wrote she actually wrote the the, uh, the ruling. But they issued um, a, a decision that said, under the Equal Protection Clause of the U.S. Constitution, um, that that basically the employee was protected uh, based on you know because you can't discriminate based on sex, which until that time had always been uh, interpreted as. Uh, you know, male, female, and this court ruled um, that it was based, they interpreted it to mean, to mean gender identity, which was pretty revolutionary. Um, yeah, there's argument about whether they were bound by precedent, but, uh, you know, the precedent they, they cite is from 1989, long before anybody, uh, you know, really was talking mm-hmm. about transgender issues at all, and the word never appears in that case. So there's a lot of disagreement about that. So those those two cases form the basis of why most uh, most of the people who, dis- who, who are fighting prior 
or it's actually about those two cases. And then they, they throw in the Judge Roy Moore thing, like, and to boot, you know, that too. We're still mad about that. So um, I think even for those who defend prior, they acknowledge that th- the fight is going to be such in the Senate that you can't really afford to have disagreement with, with your own, you know, within your own camp. You know, you can't be fighting people on the left and the right. So I think that's the biggest reason why Pryor has, has fallen out of, of the front-runner status and why most people expect it to be likely Gorsuch, but possibly Hardiman at this point. Finally, Raymond Kethledge, not much is known about him. Yeah, not a whole lot. I mean, again, he's a guy who, who comes from more of a grassroots, uh, I mean, a, a, you know, a, more of a humble background. Uh, he graduated from the University of Michigan and uh, clerked for uh, Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy in 1997 and, and has been on the Sixth Circuit since 2008. Um, he's had some, some notable rulings, I mean, quite a few, actually, but uh, one that, that I'm sure your, your listeners would, would be interested in is the uh, he ruled in favor of some conservative groups that were uh, being targeted by the IRS. And so uh, he, he issued a really strong decision just last year on that and, and chastised the IRS for their, their behavior. But again, on things like pro-life issues, uh, you know, really not very, very well known on, on his, his beliefs on, on that. And uh, I'm told that the NRA is probably going to, if, if Kethledge were to, to look like he might be the nominee, the NRA would probably mobilize against him because of, of what they perceive as a bad record on the Second Amendment. You said something a minute ago. I want to wrap up our conversation with JC, and, and that is... You can't have people on your own side divided over who this is. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. And that is why I'm advocating Mike Lee be the pick. His views are well known. Uh, He's an accomplished attorney in his own right. Um, He's been vetted by the political process. It's completely transparent. His reputation with his Senate colleagues is is well endowed. And therefore, while he wouldn't sail through a confirmation, they would attempt to call him racist and everything else. But it would look even more ridiculous than we tried it with Jeff Sessions last week. And and he is somebody yeah. that we would all agree a hundred percent we're not we're, we're sleeping well at night. We know that we replaced a Scalia with a Scalia. This can't be a John Roberts. This cannot be an eighty percent pick. You know, we get everybody's mad at Obama rightfully for suing nuns and Hobby Lobby on religious liberty. But if John Roberts doesn't legislate from the bench twice to save Obamacare, those lawsuits are all null and void. This has to be, right. in my view, Scalia was a hundred percenter. We need a hundred percenter. There may be a time for a Gorsuch or somebody who's less who's less defined to strategically throw them in there when Ginsburg or or Kennedy sits, you know steps down and that's the fifth vote and that's your all out Bork war but this one right now we're dealing from a position of strength that's got to be a hundred percenter to me and that's why I think it should be Mike Lee that's that's I, I, Mike Lee has a lot a lot of support I, I hear you I've, I've not heard anybody argue against him and I'll tell you his brother also has a lot of support he's, he's his brother Tom Lee is, is uh, I'm told on the short list for probably the second pick if assuming there is one uh, but he's on the Supreme Court in uh, in Utah, and uh, Trump likes the idea. He, he finds it appealing uh, that you know state Supreme Court justices have have a little bit more stake. There's a little they kind of have to own their decisions a little bit more, and so that's I know that that he finds that appealing about Tom Lee. So, but either of the Lee brothers, I've heard nothing but positive things about. Folks, I did tweet out the link to this article earlier today at Steve Day Show on Twitter. We posted it on our Facebook wall earlier today as well. I would urge you to go and read it. Some of the information in here, yes, will will conflict with what Andy Schlafly has said on our show, and that's okay. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Read varying perspectives. God gave you an eight-and-a-half-pound gray muscle matter right there between the two temples. Use it. Think for yourself. And this decision is coming down on Thursday, JC, correct? That's right. Thursday, February 2nd is when, when we should know. 
Hey, you guys did great work there at World. Thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Steve. All right. Take care. And again, you can read those pieces for yourself. They're on our Facebook wall. They're on our Twitter account. And yes, as I just acknowledged, some of that information is going to conflict. I mean, I, I don't know Robbie George, but I've followed his work for years. I have a lot of respect for it. I know Kelly Shackelford very well. We are buddies. I, I mean, it, it's not quite from Kelly's lips to God's ears in my mind, but it's pretty darn close knowing his track record. All right. So and he's got a totally different view on Neil Gorsuch than Andy Schlafly does. But that's the part of a vetting process. We should be looking at all these varying perspectives. The more information we have, given how many failures we've made with these judicial nominations over the years, the more information, the better. More on this in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. Most of what we say is illegal in Europe. Get the truth while you still can. Steve Dace. All right, let's get some reaction from the team here to the in-depth interview we just did with JC Derrick on. Some of the names that World Magazine has confirmed through their sources are atop Trump's shortlist for the Supreme Court. But also keep in mind, with somebody like Trump, he likes the unpredictable, he likes the mercurial, so they may be at the top right now. Wouldn't shock us at all if he had a wild card or two that we finally, and that was the name we heard on Thursday, and that's why I'm doing everything I can, which probably isn't all that much, but I'm doing everything I can to advocate for Mike Lee, because there are no doubts at all about him. But to you guys' thoughts on what we heard from JC. Well, uh, just echoing, and I was thinking about this during the interview, and yesterday when we were talking about this, uh, or last night when we were talking about this as well, um, that this the same thing happened with the Secretary of State pick, didn't it? We heard all these names. We heard right. um, we heard. Uh, Romney, we heard uh, what was the other guy's name that we Rudy Giuliani. Rudy Giuliani. We heard. we heard all of these names, th- probably three or four names that we at one point were front runners, and then I think it was like less than a week later, maybe it was a week and a half max. Out of left field, and this time literally left field, Rex Tillerson is our pick. So I don't think there's anything wrong at all with trying, of course there's not anything wrong with trying to advocate for somebody who's not on this short list. And when it comes to decisions like this, the more time we spend talking about this, the more it hits me that this is, you can't, you can't screw this up. This should be like a five yard out to your wide receiver. All right. You should hit that. You should hit that a hundred percent of the time. If you're a quarterback, Donald Trump, if he misses this, um, this, I think you're right that we will look back on this one way or another, whether it's in 10 years, whether it's in two years or whether it's in 20 years and realize that this was the defining moment of his presidency. And it, it comes within his first couple of weeks on the job. And to that end, even if we take the kindest perspective on uh, William Pryor, and as you said, in terms of a multitude of counsel, I think there's many people we respect who probably are doing that, tactically speaking, just a terrible decision. I mean, if Trump puts him forward, that is the kind of thing that is going to take the love affair mm-hmm. for these last six days and just throw it all away. Forget the, forget forget that you know for a minute Pryor's involvement in the Roy Moore, that he was the hanging judge. Forget that you know that for a second, Okay. You know, one of the things that you want to know one of the dumbest things you can do in sports is fail an NFL drug test. 
Yeah. Okay, because you know they're testing you 30 days before the season starts every year. You have to be a moron. You just you just have to decide that the that the chronic is more important to me than my NFL career because it's not a, it's the same time it's one of the dumbest things you can do. Here's how this relates to Bill Pryor. His name has been bandied about for this gig for almost a year. He so so these recent rulings that JC articulated to us have been troublesome. He's got to know in the back of his mind. I mean, my name. My, this is my time. If there was ever a moment for him to get his originalist on, for him to get his Scalia on, for him to get his constitutionalist on, wouldn't it be now? That's the worrisome thing, is knowing that the opportunity he has before him, in light of that, he issues these sorts of questionable rulings. That's a major red flag. You're listening to Steve Dace. About to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. Now we're back with Hour 2 here on the Salem Radio Network. This is the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think, so let us know. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Well, many times over the years I've been asked, hey, Steve, what should, you know, give me some required reading. And I've, I've, I've threatened to do this for years. I've just been too lazy to get around to it. Publishing a list of books I think you should be required to read before you obtain a voter ID in America. And one of them is about 20 years old now. It's called Radical Son. Uh, and the author of that book, David Horowitz, joins us now because he's out with a new one. It's called Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. And we want to welcome him to the show tonight. David, thanks for joining us. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Steve. So let's talk about Trump's big agenda and the plan to save America. What are some signs early on that you can see here in week one that he's implementing that plan, David? Well, it's quite amazing, isn't it? Um, How refreshing to have a politician get elected to office and the very first day he's starting to fulfill his promises. Um, It's pretty unprecedented. I've, I've never seen anything like this. Uh, so I'm very happy. Uh, he said, look, he said what he said during the campaign. He's going to secure the borders. He's going to uh, strengthen police, strengthen the military, strengthen our border patrols. He's going to repeal Obamacare. Uh, he's doing it all. He's, he didn't make such a big deal. I know a lot of conservatives were concerned because he didn't use phrases like small government. or um, But... He's freezing government hiring, except for border security and law enforcement. I mean, it's, I think it's terrific. I couldn't be happier. So because I have a lot of respect for your work, David, I want to I give you permission to do something on my show I probably shouldn't. 
And that is to critique people like me, because I was one of those skeptical conservatives. But unlike a lot of these other guys, I actually know Donald Trump. He spent well over a year wooing me early on in the caucus process because I live here in Iowa. But, but I was very skeptical because we did not hear some of the things that we are used to hearing. Uh, but I've also said on this show that for people with my belief system, this is, and I, I started doing news talk radio in 2006. And by then, pretty much the George W. Bush presidency was over. It was bogged down by Iraq and it never really reco- recovered. So in my time, I think you can make a case that this has been the best week people like me have had on our issues since I've been doing this for a living. So tell me. And, and say to our audience, what did you see then all of this time? What were you willing to take a chance on that people, conservatives like me, were skeptical of? What did we miss? Well, okay. I, <clears throat> the first thing is that uh, I, I, I have no, no quarrel with people who were skeptical. There were a lot of reasons to be skeptical. My quarrel with the Never Trumpers is the ones that don't admit that they were wrong. Uh, you know, remember they... Oh, they said not only he wasn't a conservative, he was probably a closet liberal. He was going to lose big time. He was going to take down the down ticket, um, all the down ticket candidates. Um, you would think they would have a little contrition um, and say, well, maybe there's something we didn't see. So I, 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 I can respect people who were wrong uh, and, uh, and make that correction. Uh, what I saw, what, first of all, I come from a place where and uh, a lot of my book, Big Agenda, uh, Trump's Plan to Save America, is about the war. There's a political war that the left has declared on this country and on conservatives in particular um, that's been going on now for decades. And so I'm, I'm very attuned to that. And when I saw uh, Trump go into Hillary's face and say, you're a liar and a crook, I knew that First of all, both of those were true. Both of those are very important if you're um, assessing a candidate. But there isn't another Republican in the country who would do that on national TV. He also said of Hillary in the second debate, turned to the camera and said, you have to understand, Hillary has tremendous hatred in her heart. Uh, Again, there's not another Republican that would say that to the face of a, of, a, of a woman candidate. There's this peculiar thing about political correctness, which is really a party line, um, that women who are clamoring to be seen as strong women and presidential candidates are nonetheless really can't exist without the protection of that deference that, you know, this traditional, uh, they would call it reactionary deference that men have towards women. So that Hillary should never have been a formidable candidate, but it's only because you can't say, uh, you can't be frank about a a woman candidate, not in our culture. So that was very exciting, all of that stuff to me. Um, And actually from the very first, when Megyn Kelly laid into him, uh, and said that he called women pigs or this or that. And then he said, I was only about Rosie O'Donnell. I mean, he won me over right there. I was, for the first part of the campaign, I was nervous. Again, one of the criticisms of of him was uh, that he wasn't disciplined and that he couldn't control himself and that he was going to blow it up. But he actually did eventually, or that he didn't listen to anybody. But he actually did that as well. 
And I was always reassured by two things. One was his family. Uh, anybody who's brought up children <laughs> knows that it's not easy uh, to keep them on the straight and narrow. Uh, and, to you know, it's not easy to produce such incredible achievers um, as, for example, Ivanka. So I thought that was always very much in, in Trump's favor. The other thing is, that, you know, when people said, well, he's really a closet liberal and he, and he doesn't mean anything that he's saying, here's a guy who puts his name on everything, name on airplanes, on buildings, on resorts, and you know that this is a guy who cares about his reputation. He wants to build the brand, the Trump brand. So I figured when he said things like, we're going to build a wall and make Mexico pay for it, that he, he's going to come through on that promise. But, you know, he's going to or die trying because he doesn't want to be seen as somebody uh, who, you know, betrays his word. So for all those reasons, and, and then the final one, the ideological conservatism, I mean, you, it can tend to be a kind of religious thing, where if you don't say the right words uh, or emphasize the right things, uh, people think that you, you know, you're not a conservative. I judged him by the way he was taking on the left directly, the Democratic Party, which has become a left-wing party. Um, and, and, and my book, Big Agenda, is all about that and about how it does it and why this is it's going to transform the Republican Party. Because, well, as a conservative, you, you, you know, we've all been frustrated by Republicans refusal to fight. Mm -hmm. They don't fight. They got elected in a majority, you know, a record majority in 2010 and 2014. And um, they won because they were opposed to Obamacare and other Obama programs. And, the, and then when they got in office, they did nothing. Uh, the Constitution only gives you two checks on the president. One is impeachment, and nobody's going to impeach the first black president. <laughs> and the other is the purse strings in the House. And why didn't they? Why didn't they vote to defund the, uh, Ob these bad Obama programs? And the answer is they were afraid. They didn't want to be called uh, obstructionists. They didn't want to be called racists. Well, that's why Republicans have lost. We've lost the culture. We've lost so much of the country over the last thirty years because there aren't any Republicans who are willing to stand up and throw those charges right back in their face. And Trump did it, so that also won me over. David Horowitz is here with us. His new book, Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. We're talking about it here tonight on the Steve Day Show. And one thing you allude to in this book, and we were talking about this on our show last night, is normally presidents are judged by their first hundred days in terms of the barometer. But when you look at how much, David, his predecessor instituted by, as he used to put it, a pen and a phone, as he used to, as he used to just impose things by hook or by crook, so much of what he did was by fiat that I think in the case of Trump, he has the opportunity opportunity to wield more power in his opening days, not a hundred days, but the first, you know, first week than maybe any president in American history. And I want to get your reaction to that. Yes, I know. Awkward tease. I want to get your reaction to that. David Horowitz, author of Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America in a moment.
listening to Steve Dace. You can agree with him or you can be wrong. It's a free country. Steve Dace. Back here on the Steve Dace Show, David Horowitz is here with us, author of Big Agenda, President Trump's Plan to Save America. David, I asked you before the break about the unprecedented power Trump can wield in his opening days because of the way his predecessor abused his power. I want to let you comment on that. I, I think it's very interesting. Obviously, when you take on the immigration, uh, the anti-open borders lobby, the environmental wacko lobby, uh, uh, you know, the Obamacare lobby uh, and on and on. I mean, I, how many he, he's taken on in a, in a few days? Um, the risk is that you not you, unite your opposition. The fact is um, that that opposition is already won. I mean, they have, they have these marches. The Women's March was headed by a, uh, a Hamas woman, uh, uh, you know, gave the, she's on the internet with the ISIS side. Um, Sar, Linda Sarsour, she's an outspoken spo- um, spoken spokesman for Sharia, for Islamic law, which makes women into chattel. It's, uh, they, they, the left is totally uh, united in its contradictory uh, agendas, uh, and they they're sympathetic to the uh, Islamic terrorists. Uh, you know they they they're alarmists about the environment. Uh, they want open borders, all those things. So, he, by taking on these issues in the first days, he he didn't actually unify the left. What he's done, this is this is great because what he's done is there's so many agendas here that they can't concentrate on one because they're very good at demagoguing it and, and turning it into Hitlerism. Um, but they can't do it because there are so many. There's the pipelines. There's, there's just everything. And so what it looks like is just uh, an idle protest. The people have gotten used to these protests. Um, you know, they've had enough bad press, I hope, so, uh, about their violence uh, that they're going to, you know, sto- stuff that for a while. Um, so I think it's a win-win for him all around. He's he's going to load in all these agendas and all these appointments, and uh, they're not going to be able to focus on one and pick off uh, a, a more vulnerable one uh, as a result. I think it's great. Is there anything that they are talking about or banning about, or Trump specifically is talking about or banning about, David, that you would say, oh, no, don't do that. Anything. Uh, I wish I could say that. <laughs> but no, I'm, I'm for everything he's for, including the waterboarding. What about the tariffs? You're OK with zero dark 30. What about the tariff policy, the you know, customs duties on imports? Well, the things yeah, are threatening. Look, are you OK I, with that? I have never. One of the things that. Um, made me not take a lot of the never Trumpers seriously on our side was that it, it, it went from one perception into is Mussolini, is uh, he, Hitler, uh, he's a protectionist and so forth. I never I didn't hear anything like that during the campaign. Yeah, he wants to renegotiate all the contracts. Good. 
uh, why would Trump, who he's got an international business empire, so he understands uh, what trade is about, um, why would he be stupid and, uh, you know, create a, a trade war and so forth? I think that the threat that he will put in 35% tariffs is very useful in a negotiation. I don't think that that he, he's he's not an ideological, you know, like if it were if it were Ron Paul. Ron Paul to me, to me, um, it was a crackpot. He's he's very ideological and very extreme, and the ideas matter to him. When Trump is a real world person, I have people forget that. He's dealt a lot in the real world. He's had to deal with, with unions, with rivals, with government. So he understands the system. And he's not a radical. He's a patriot. Sounds like you view some of this as negotiating tactics, art of the deal stuff. Totally. That's what it's about. So, so it also sounds like you agree with something I've, I've read. Selena Zito, who's a columnist in the New York Post, said this about Trump once. Take him seriously, but not always literally. Would you agree with that? Exactly. If I had one criticism of Trump is that he, he, he was in such a hurry. He, he spoke too much off the top of his head and, and he exaggerates a lot. And exaggerate, I mean, somebody pointed this out. That's what salesmen do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm always thinking, what's the impact politically? Um, conservatives, are ideological conservatives are, are almost like religious people. And they're concerned about, you know, towing the, the line of the principles and the right phrases and so forth. I'm looking at, you know, when he exaggerates something, how is that going to, what, what is the impact of that politically? And, you know, I, I never thought his, you know, the, you know, they talk about Trump lying. You know, first of all, to lie, you have to consciously tell an untruth. Trump doesn't, I don't. He would never do anything like that. Name of the book: Big Agenda: President Trump's Plan to Save America. Out now by best-selling author David Horowitz. David, thank you for joining us tonight. We appreciate it. Good luck with the Thanks book, but you probably won't need it. Take care. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Before we go to buy, sell, or hold, a couple minutes here. Get your reaction to what we just heard from David Horowitz. Other than the fact this guy is popular because I think he got like twenty emails. While we were doing this interview on the radio, but uh, your thoughts on David and what he was saying about Trump's agenda, Todd? Well, I give credit where credit is due. This is a man who never brought a knife uh, to a gunfight. Uh, he's been Trump before Trump fighting for the cause. So props to that. But in terms of uh, not being ideological, that's I mean, he's just off base there. Being uh, pe- we, it, the problem is clearly not that we've been too ideological. We, we've faked being ideological. Yes, we've used buzzwords that we never planned to hold ourselves to in many respects, and that's why uh, Trump was possible in the first place. But being I- more ideological would have prevented the downfall of conservatism uh, that led to Trump and probably would have prevented Trump as well. Being real conservatives, we probably would have got to the point where we were doing all the things we were doing this week, years ago 
because it keeps us on target. It keeps our, our, our notions of right and wrong clear. It keeps us from not giving up when it's darkest. So uh, being ideological is a good thing, not as long as you are on the side of truth. I agree with you. I do think, Aaron, though, that he made a valid criticism of people like me Mm -hmm. that we do because we do have a if we're principled ideological conservatives, we do sort of have a playlist like we do theologically. And when I if I don't hear magic words, Mm -hmm. then that does send me a signal that maybe internally you're not with me. I think that's a valid criticism he has of people like me. Yeah. One thing is just two two quick observations before we close here. I I always start to um, I I just kind of tune out anytime somebody says something to the effect. Well, I'm I'm with somebody. 100% of the way. But as far as the ideological comment that he made, yeah, I think he's right. And yes, there is a difference between uh, those who view things ideologically and those who are actually viewing things as looking at somebody who's trying to start a movement as well. I think those were some valid observations he made as well. Buy, sell, and hold is next. You're listening to Steve Dace. Exceeding your low expectations, the Steve Day Show. Well, we do it every Thursday night. It's our little game called Buy, Sell, or Hold. Our producer, Aaron, sets forth a series of, hopefully, anyway, provocative statements. And we have to decide, Todd and I do, whether we're going to buy, whether we're going to sell, with some explanation why. And then one time during the game... We are allowed to cop out and say hold because we just don't think the evidence is there yet to make a definitive stance. So, Aaron, you may begin. This year's March for Life will set a record for mainstream media coverage that will not be broken. That will not be broken. Um, Wow. I I will go... What's the metric here? I mean... well, there really hasn't been any mainstream media mm-hmm. coverage, so, so, so there's bar, an, that, that metric's already predetermined. Be, yes. the, the, the part, the, the, the caveat at the end is the, is the determiner that would never be broken. Because I could foresee a time when Trump himself would come across the mall and speak to it. And if that were to happen, then obviously we would blow whatever media coverage this year's, which I think will set the all-time record. That was my prediction last week. Yeah, but, but, but yeah. That's, a, that's an admittedly low bar, okay? Uh, we're going to go from zero to, you know, we're going to drive Miss Daisy, basically, uh, from zero to 25. <laughs> All right, so we're not saying Hagar yet. We can't drive, we can drive 55. But um, it will set a record for sure. I'll say I'll say bye with the caveat, Todd, that unless Trump himself were to come and physically speak at some time in the next four or eight years, then that would obviously shatter whatever record this year's will set. That is sound reasoning, but I will say sell only because it's going to take more time to repeal Roe than just this year. And I think we, there might be a snowball effect that starts here. And the one when we are legitimately in the zone, when and where that will finally happen, I I think that would obviously break it at that point. President Trump takes a look at the $12 price tag on his border wall and will turn to Mitch McConnell and say, what the heck, Mitch, do it for half the price. Um, I could buy that. Yeah, I I could buy that. Uh, I could also see, because because I could see their... 
I could see Republicans trying to to throw this into some massive omnibus spending bill so that the media reports the price tag as the total overall cost of this bill rather than the wall itself. And, and Trump even making an effort to say there, no, I want a standalone vote on the wall. Okay, so I think you're two for two, Aaron. I'm going to buy that too, Todd. I'm buying as well. McConnell is trying to troll a troller here. That number sounds impossibly high. I I think he's already trying to test Trump a little bit, see if he's weak in the knees on the number. I, I just don't buy that number. President Trump's executive order on funding for sanctuary cities will be challenged in court and declared unconstitutional. I, I think I'm going to buy again uh, because I think they can find judges to say anything they want to say. Wasn't because, that the Ninth Circuit out there, Steve? Yeah, b- because of the nature. I mean, we've got a, a federal court that tried to tell Texas again last week that it couldn't defund Planned Parenthood. There is simply no jurisdictional authority for a federal court to impose itself on a state's budget. And, and, and Texas is violating the Constitution, I would argue, if they allow it to. They should just simply say, thank you, uh, you know, appreciate it, but uh, we, this is Texas. Yeah, you don't have any jurisdiction here. And, and you know, they just hung a portrait of Andrew Jackson up in the White House. I believe I read this yesterday. So I, I think that uh, they will find judges, and, and half of them will be Republican appointees, frankly, that will just say anything they want them to say because no one's slapped them back. No one said, no, you don't get to do that. No one's drawn a line in the sand. Uh, and the real test will be how Trump there, there, therefore responds to that talk. Yeah, I'll, I'll buy in the same way that water is wet. You are going to see the full-throated, faux-legislative uh, authority of the courts rear its ugly head this year mexico really will pay for at least part of the wall um yeah bye this is well the way to make this work is i have said on the show going back a year now how many times you guys heard me say this this is a simple thing to make happen all you simply do is take mexico's foreign aid and offset the cost of 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 the wall however long it takes now technically this is accounting semantics if if we're taking away their foreign aid that we are paying them they're not paying for the wall although it's money that they were counting on being allocated to them on the other hand when the wall walls off all the drugs and illegals coming over the wall if they're not coming here guess where they got to go stay home who's going to pay for them then Mexico. So that's another way to semantically look at they're paying for the wall talk. I'm going to buy what you said. Dead on. You're listening to Steve Dace. The new benchmark in broadcast mediocrity. Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Playing our little game of buy, sell, or hold, our producer Aaron sets forth a series of provocative statements. Todd and I decide whether we're buying that, whether we're selling that, with a little bit of an explanation why, and then one time each week. We are allowed to say, eh, not quite enough info yet to make a definitive stance on that, so we're going to take a hold. We haven't used our hold yet, 
In fact, I think we have both bought everything Aaron has put forth so far. So, Aaron, you are on a roll. After the final Avengers movie, superhero movies will go the way of Westerns. Uh, sell. There's just too much money uh, out there. And now they're... Uh, the, I mean, the way that they are uh, evolving into various forms of, of media and everything else now, they're just making way too much money. I mean, look at, look at the two movies that Warner Brothers put out last year, the DC movies. Batman versus Superman, which I thought was one of the 10 best movies I saw last year. I mean, I, I thought it was a great film. It got like 25% on Rotten Tomatoes. Suicide Squad, which I don't think is quite as good as Batman v Superman, but is a rollicking good time at the theater. I just watched it again a few weeks ago on demand. Uh, it, it was slightly higher at about 35%. Those two movies combined globally made almost $2 billion. So these are brands that are, are essentially, uh, to a point, impervious to critical reviews. Now, if the reviews had been better, like they were on Captain America Civil War, then those movies would have made the kind of money Captain America Civil War made, which was over $400 million domestic, and they made over $300 million. But it ain't like Warner Brothers is thinking, boy, I wish you'd have made some better movies there. They only made over $350 million domestic both. Okay, I mean, so when you're talking that much, that kind of jack, I don't think they're going the way of the Western or the Dodo Bird anytime soon. And that's not just me, the fanboy, talking. Notice I didn't even bring up my own fanboy. I just took a look at the, the cold, hard cash, baby. That's all. Yeah, I'm selling. The operative word here is reboot. I, I still remember going to the theater for the first Michael Keaton Batman when I was, I think, in early high school. When, do you remember when that was, Steve? 87, 88? Does that ring a bell? 89. Was 1989 it 89? Okay, was so. when the, Michael Keaton, Jack Nicholson, Batman came out. And how many... Inter- and essentially reinvented the modern superhero genre, which had fallen dead after Christopher Reeves decided to turn Superman into a peacenik hippie. That killed uh, that franchise and it just laid dormant for several years until this movie came along. It just goes to show fans are hungry for uh, continued iteration. See if they... I mean, I, I, is there one superhero is, is even... Christopher Nolan, look at no one was no one was saying you got to stop at Batman now because he perfected. No, we want more Batman. Let's see it. Right. I mean, look at poor Ben Affleck, who literally can't leave his house without being asked, "When's your Batman movie coming out?" That's an example of what you're talking about right there. Uh, ratings for this year's Oscars award show will be even lower than last year. Last year, by the way, was an eight-year low for TV ratings. Absolutely buying. I, I absolutely buy in. The, and, and you can probably thank Meryl Streep and what happens at Golden Globes yes. for that. I just think there's a lot of Americans that are just going to be like, I just, I got something else to do. But thank you very much. I just, I don't want to listen to that over and over and over and over and over and over again because the pack mentality that we tend to run in as a species, you, you just know a bunch of these people are sitting there right now perfecting their acceptance speeches, trying to figure out how they're going to get some of what Meryl Streep got from their side, right? Some of the, you know, fake news congratulatory, uh, you know, um, applause. So I I think it will be insipidly sanctimonious, which is ironic to see Mel Gibson's, who was one of the people who didn't stand at her speech (laughs) at the Golden Globes, to see his Hacksaw Ridge, which is a blatantly Christian film, Mm -hmm. uh, nominated for Best Picture, it will be fascinating to see, you know, if indeed the dichotomy, of if 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 it were to do well on Oscar night, in and amidst the what what the rest of the verbiage that's going on into the microphone, that would be truly schizophrenic. And and even and as a guy that doesn't watch award shows, 
I might be interested in watching that just because just for the rubbernecking. I mean, just the the awkwardness of here's this blatantly Christian film by Mel Gibson who was excommunicated, some of it because of his own antics and some of it because he made The Passion, who is who's been excommunicated from mainstream Hollywood for about a decade now. Wouldn't it be fascinating, Todd, to see this dual, dualistic notion of all these insipidly sanctimonious progressive speeches? Meanwhile, Mel Gibson's, uh, you know, overtly Christian movie is sweeping all these awards. It would. I. Now, I don't anticipate right. that happening. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I. Although I was shocked it got it was even nominated for mm-hmm. Best Picture, so I'm already surprised. So the way you phrase this is buy right for the lowest ratings. Yes. yes, I'm absolutely buying. It's also because they're very bad at this. I've, I've, I haven't seen most of these movies, and I really want to see many of these movies. I've actually seen time. four of them, which is a lot yeah. for me. That's and a lot for me. The, the problem is they're, they're terrible at... They're so snobby. They're terrible at marketing this. They should be getting all these movies out on DVD to get people access to them. I mean, I, I'm a movie fan, but I just don't have the life where I can go out and see all these uh, movies. So uh, most, I think most of America is probably in that, uh, with the exception of Hacksaw Ridge. And this kind of is like um, uh, the um, Sniper movie, American Sniper. American Sniper, yeah. right. All right, final one, and I'm going to force a parlay here. The New England Patriots win the Super Bowl. I'm going to force you to parlay that into Tom Brady will rush for the Super Bowl winning touchdown with under three minutes remaining. Uh, Sell. I I think if you gave Tom Brady three minutes to rush for the winning touchdown, it could go down, okay? Uh, Because I think that's how long... It would likely take. Uh, he's he's not going to beat too many guys in a foot in a foot race, but uh, standing back there in the pocket with the ball in his hand, uh, he is a lethal weapon. Uh, so I I think New England's going to win, and I I think they will win by more than the three point spread. Uh, to me, what I see in this game is I see two teams with with really good offenses, but one of them also has a really good defense to go along with it. And two weeks to take a look at the other team's offense, and you look at the track record of Bill Belichick in those situations. Uh, I, just, I just don't think Atlanta has enough defense in the game. But uh, the idea that Brady would win by running the ball... although So you can't see a, um, a goal line, play-action fake, misdirection play where uh, he just does a naked boot? I could see it. I just think the odds of it working uh, or even being called in that situation far in a way... Um, are diminished by the odds that it will be any other scenario, Todd, but that. Yeah, I'm selling. Belichick is not a genius because he makes calls like that. He's a genius for entirely different reasons. I mean, he he does the thing that you're supposed to do in classic football just better than anybody. Yeah, exactly. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. We don't play for a team. We fight for the truth. You're listening to Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. All right, we got a few minutes here. I want to turn tables on you guys. I'm going to throw out a statement, and you guys tell me if you buy, sell, or hold. And Todd technically still has his hold available. I think this is the first time ever we've gone through a buy, sell, or hold, and neither one of us used our hold, I right? I think that's There's true. There's a bonus for that, isn't there? There should be. And yeah. uh, You should work for less money next week. That should be the bonus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to throw out a statement. You guys tell me if you buy, sell, or hold. 
before he leaves the White House, Donald Trump will speak in person to the March for Life. I'm, I'm buying, but that was my was last week. At some point, I made the prediction that he was going to appear at this one. I, I'm absolutely buying. It would be he would be the first president, by the way, to ever do so. Uh, Reagan and George W. Bush called the March for Life, to, but never physically addressed. To, it. to my mind, this is like him appointing, you know, a, a, a judge, a conservative judge, even if that's not in his gut. That makes uh, Scalia look like Ginsburg. I mean, that, there is no way he loses if he shows up at that thing it is an absolute win for him the, the the all the press coverage that he would bring to it the degree to which he would make people go nuts on the left and in the press it, it's an absolute winner aaron I, i'm going to buy for the same reasons uh, not because he actually personally believes in the cause that uh, the march for life is representing but because he can see it as being as showing up there as being politically expedient and if uh, we know anything at all, um, maybe next year or, or in years following, he'll put out some rumors, you know, three or four weeks ahead of the March for Life. Um, his, his administration will put out some rumors and we'll, he'll, he'll gauge the reaction. We know how this goes. And if the reaction is good, he'll show up. So I'm buying. Hmm. You know, only Nixon could go to China. Donald Trump, who in September of 2015, during a Republican primary, was named by Cecile Richards as, quote, Planned Parenthood's favorite Republican for walking back his claim that they should be defunded because they do some, quote, very good things. Remember this? Mm-hmm. I do now. Now, <laughs> now we're talking about you guys both, without a doubt, think he becomes the first president to ever address the March for Life in person. Yeah. He just can't lose politically from it. He can't. You know whose name we've not heard at all? Ivanka's. Yeah. Not heard her name at all. And that was one of my predictions for 2017. Is that her influence, now it's January 26th, but that her influence would turn out to be dramatically overrated. Because of what you just said. I mean, this has all the earmarkings of a classic story of a rich daddy um, uh, patronizing his little princess, finding her some pet program, and then, thank you, honey, we'll we'll take it from here, sweetie. Doesn't it? Well, it's a paradox that, you know, the womanizer her father is, but she clear, her kids, his kids genuinely feel loved and taken care of by their father. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be reflected in this. Life is valued. Because you would have thought she might have balked at him being so involved in a march like this, right? Right. Nothing. Silence. You're listening to Steve Dace. to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with our third and final hour tonight on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. 
at Steve Dace Show. And don't forget, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up here in about 30 minutes, we're going to project what to expect with the Trump economy from one of the nation's top financial advisors, according to Forbes magazine. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. Yes, indeed it is. Three questions. This is when Aaron test drives his learner's permit, takes over the show, gets to ask us three questions about any three things he so desires. He can uh, be as snotty as he wants to be, but he has to answer the same questions himself. Just wait till question three tonight. At what (laughs) point should we stop being surprised when Trump makes comments like he did to Muir, David Muir from ABC News about the March for Life? You know, I think a lot of your surprise probably comes into what your expectation was coming into his presidency. I I think, Todd, that if you were somebody who, you know, we opened the show tonight talking about this kind of bargain that I think people like us are going to have to be willing to confront on a regular basis during the next four years. And, you know, outside of his cult, what I mean by the cult, I mean, you know, the people who draw a sign, the women who the woman who draws a sign at a Trump rally pointing to her privates and says, Trump, you can grab my blankety blank. I mean, that stuff. Okay, he's God's anointed. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean. But but if you're one of the millions of people who who came to the conclusion that the risk that he represented was was worth taking for the potential reward then, then the last couple of nights, you've probably been screaming and yelling at us, me in particular. Think, I was trying to tell you this the whole election. Okay? So if that was your expectation level going in, you're shocked that we're shocked. If that was not your expectation level going in, then you will probably be continue, you'll probably continue to be shocked for quite some time. Or maybe I should say, Todd, you are hoping that you will continue to be shocked for quite some time. I'm not surprised that he does such things for rhetorical advantage in any given moment. I mean, this is what he does. And in that sense, it's no different than when he's at the Republican uh, National Convention, and he thinks he's gaining rhetorical convention by saying, you know, uh, it's really great that uh, you Republicans don't want to basically um, put, uh, you know, gay people in leper colonies anymore. You know, he, but if he, I'll be surprised if this, if he really shows himself to be a legit pro life presidency and i'm still skeptical because the easiest thing he w- he ended up winning a narrow election he would have in a landslide if right out of the gate he would have uh, gone to sweet cakes by melissa's defense and said listen i have kind of lived a broken life but there's no way we're shutting down businesses over the issue of marriage i've got your back so it's going to take a little bit more while when i see the words be speak to the core of his sense of purpose as president we should define what real pro-life presidency means to you does that mean he's more pro-life than hillary clinton or he is actually pro-life because you know those are often two different things 
I think as soon as we see some consistency in uh, Trump just wanting to please his base, because there are some things that he does that, that don't please conservatives, but as soon as we start to see some consistency in that he's trying to do things for political expediency, because we know that he's not a pro-life, uh, he, his worldview is not one that uh, necessarily espouses a pro-life um, on that issue, as soon as we see some consistency in um, him just wanting to do what's best for him and his base, that's when we'll stop being surprised. Question two, what one non-spiritual specific discipline that you've honed in your life do you think would be beneficial for everyone listening to us tonight? Non-spiritual discipline? Mm-hmm. Um, I finally, it, it took several years, but I finally have my body to the point that I have to maintain a regular workout schedule. It took a lot longer than I thought. I've, I've read stuff that it could take six weeks, six months. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, it took a lot longer than that for me. Okay, but I finally have it now that if that schedule is disrupted, my body re- revolts and says, no, come back into the light. Okay, so I'd probably go with that one, Todd. Yeah, I was going to have the same one, and unfortunately, for a couple different reasons, I don't have the regular routine that I would like to, but I've had one more or less off and on since college. I mean, I lost team sports, and that's instantly when I started running. I needed something, and I'll I'll add a little bit of a caveat. Uh, I know a lot of people do it in groups. Uh, because you know that's what key, and you have a training buddy, a partner that keeps you going. That's important. But in terms of uh, things like running, cycling, things like that, I'll, these are opportunities. It is for meditation, and you can spiritual or non spiritual, an opportunity to just be out there in, in nature. Can, uh, it, it has been a gift. So it, it the, the non spiritual discipline has led to spiritual blessings. Interesting. Um, probably cooking, and this is just for me because I'm I'm a young single guy, but I think it's uh, applicable for everybody. Because especially when uh, when you're in my shoes, it's um, it's it's easy to just go out to this eat. This is a good day. one. Yeah, but uh, learning how to cook for yourself is a very good one. Absolutely. You guys ready for this? I don't know. I don't. Think are you, we? I don't think you are. All right. It better not, not be lame. You're you're not ready. Sounds for this. like a year of a cat reset to me. If you were the eighth dwarf in Snow White, we're already what off. Would to, your we're name off to a terrible be? start. We're off to a terrible, and the, the finish was worse. I, 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 I couldn't wait to see you guys' face. <laughs> that's why I want you to keep going. Uh, I just that, saw that was it. the question. If, if you were the eighth dwarf in Snow White, what would oh, your name that's, be? Oh, that's we're, we're just done there. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I can tell you what my name would be. Nunya. Uh, my name Nunya would be... Nunya Business. <laughs> um, I saw that commercial the other day from Sonic. Made us laugh out loud. All, all of us thought that was funny. Uh, you go first. I've got, another, I've got another question that we can answer. Bonus question. Um, I, I would say probably no. Your That's name would be no? No. My sign is no. My number is no. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Todd? Bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Bitter. I'm gonna go with uh, Snark. If 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 I were the eighth elf, my name would be Snark. Do you think that's good? Bitter Snark and no. I Bitter like Snark. It. Boy, this is not exactly faith, hope, and love. Is yes, it? this is this is the show for a biblical worldview, America. <laughs> Where is your hope? Not in not in Bitter Snark and no. That's for sure. Uh, final bonus question. You're in hell. 
Oh, wow. I mean, seriously, meth? Is it meth again tonight? Seriously. The devil gives you a choice between watching really bad soccer for the rest of your, well, eternity, or watching the Star Wars Christmas special on loop. Which do you choose? Steve's going to say really bad soccer, but you, you know, you're being redundant. Uh, Oh, that is... Can I? Can you know I, my answer. Can I choose the pineapple up the rectum like they did to Hitler and Little Nicky in hell? Can I? Can I choose that? Is, is that an option, or does it have to be a binary choice? It's a binary choice because you're in hell. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is where binary choices come from. Yes. Ah. Uh, wow. Um. Uh, I, I'm. I. Wow. Uh, well, um. I, I, I'm, You're in I'm, hell right now, aren't I you? I am. I, can you guys see how verklempt I am <laughs> contemplating this dilemma? What's the matter over I, there, Snark? I, 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 <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the Star Wars Holiday Special, because at least it has that really cool Boba Fett cartoon, where the character was first introduced. All right? and So, and there, so I'm going to go begrudgingly. I will go with hell forcing me to watch the Star Wars Holiday Special. On loop. No. Tragically bad soccer. Absolutely. Take it every time. See, I'd go with bad soccer as well, because at least there's... I, I, I don't think I'd get tired of that, even though it's it's torture, but watching torture over and over again, the same torture over and over again, I don't... If I was given soccer in hell, that would, to me, be God saying, you're saying there's a chance. So it's more like, well, yeah. I, I, so it's more like purgatory, if I understand purgatory correctly. Well, uh, I, I don't no. understand. Oh, you don't. I, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't understand your qualifier of really bad soccer. That's the because all see, soccer is the, bad. Yeah, it's you the part that yourself. I don't. Yes, yeah, so I thought. I mean, no, that was that was is not the for, redundancy was, the hell. That, I mean, you tell me <laughs> that was not designed for you. That was designed for Todd because oh, I, I know Todd. You're trying to give him a way out. Yes. Okay. I mean, what's really bad soccer when it's when nobody scores? <laughs> That happens all the time. That, I mean, that's soccer, guys. Nobody <laughs> scored. We'll come back with the nightly buzz next. You're listening to Steve Dace. such a time as this steve days now for something completely different we need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology i prefer metaphysics to theology you see there's no guild in baseball what in the wide wide world of sports is going on here can we talk about something else certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd perhaps even offensive we have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel we gotta get some buzz going so let's get it going. This is the Nightly Buzz. We go back, take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the show. But because they're trending on social media or at your water cooler at work, according to our producer Aaron, he has said, hey, take a few minutes. Let me give you those headlines and give me some hot takes. So Aaron, fire away. Thank you, Steve. For Story Secretary of State uh, Rex Tillerson's job running the State Department was met with a sudden resignation on uh, today or yesterday of uh, four senior level management officials. Dave Wade, who served as the State Department Chief of Staff under Secretary of State John Kerry, said, quote, it's the single be- biggest uh, simultaneous departure of institutional memory that anyone can remember, and that's incredibly difficult to replicate. I'd be curious if this is true, 
because these stories are fake news every time there's a transition. I remember when George W. Bush won, and it was major news that all the U.S. attorneys had been fired. When every president tends to fire the U.S. attorneys of the previous administration, I saw it Bill from Clinton a, did the same thing. For yeah, example, I saw enough commentary yeah. on it that there, it seems to be yeah. legit. But that being said, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so you mean the do you mean the department who who believes in the magical thinking of the moderate Arab nation that believes in the Mo- the Muslim Brotherhood the Arab Spring that believes that uh, you know ISIS just needs a jobs program that they all just quit global warming causes maybe, terrorism yeah, maybe he really is God's anointed after all not to mention you're so angry at the new president's direction for the country, that your solution, Todd, is to leave your post, which could potentially influence him. Stupid is as a stupid does. That is a great answer, but this is where we need a button for Aaron to push can Dace answers so I say so I can say something like, I see your Dace and raise you Dace, because this is where you should have said, I want more. And when I you want more. Yeah. I want more. And when you like it, you've got to have it. And you want you, you got to have more of it. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Uh, next story, the State Department is reviewing a last-minute decision by former Secretary of State John Kerry to send $221 million to the Palestinians late last week over the objections of congressional Republicans. The department said Tuesday it would look at the payments and might make adjustments to ensure it comports with the Trump administration's priorities. I think the only way that this could comport, or should comport, I should say, with the Trump administration is if their review ends with the words, Todd, stop payment. See, I have no idea, and this goes to conversations we already have about Trump's motivations, if this is a fire he actually feels in the belly, or this is like inviting Romney in for a couple dinners just to make sure he's going to feel like he might get the job and absolutely never gets it. You know, if this is just trolling... Of Kerry, either way, good decision, but still not sure why he's doing it. Actor Shia LaBeouf was arrested in New York City early on Thursday after he got into an altercation with another man during a performance art project. That's really stretching the definition of that. That has seen him (laughs) chanting, he will not divide us in front of a live camera since Donald Trump's first day as president. Police say LaBeouf pulled the scarf off a 25-year-old man who was also a counter-protester outside the Museum of the Moving Image in Queens, scratching his face in the process. They said he also pushed the man who refused medical attention. The irony. I I just, in fact, irony, irony may need to be retired. For all time. We have reached peak irony. We have reached the zenith, n- ironic nirvana, that Shia LaBeouf was arrested for assaulting somebody while standing in front of a He Will Not Divide Us banner. You know what? This is one thing Chesterton was wrong about when he pointed out that, that you know the one thing God never shows us in his word is a sense of humor. This is... That's because he shows it to us in real life on a consistent basis, Todd. And this would be one of the best examples of it that I have ever seen. And I'm going to choose to read into the motivations of the uh, guy he assaulted and who said, I, I don't need uh, medical help. I mean, basically, like, it's Sheila Booth. I mean, no, I ain't getting med- If anybody ends up on the end of uh, the needing medical help in an altercation with Shia LaBeouf, it's going to be Shia LaBeouf. Somebody tweeted me something about this, and I, I wish I remembered their name. I get so many tweets, I, otherwise I'd go find it and give them credit. Somebody tweeted me something about this that literally made me laugh out loud. They said to me, listen, Steve, 
give Shia LaBeouf, cut him some slack. If you found out that your career had sunk so low that you weren't you weren't going to be cast in Transformers 8, you probably would act out like this as well. And I thought that was well played. As more than a million women and their allies were making final plans for marches in Washington and around the world to protest Donald Trump, a commenter posted on a Reddit thread, there needs to be a scientist's march on Washington. Of course, within hours, a Facebook group was born, a website, a Twitter handle, and the beginnings of a plan quickly followed. Hundreds of thousands joined the Facebook group that has now been made secret. Organizers want the march to be a nonpartisan protest that addresses issues including government funding for scientists, transparency, global warming, and evolution, according to the website. Nonpartisan, though. Remember that. So, a march... Um, for science, does, from does this include uh, gender is not determined by science, but what my emotions and my feelings are? Which ultrasounds are bunk. Yeah, ultras, ultrasounds are complete fabrications because you actually get to look inside the womb to see what is happening there. Which science are we talking about, Todd? Oh, if we're talking about the one I think we're talking about, I hope they all show up on the National Mall and we just roll tape. Bring it. That's a win for us. What you you really think it's going to be a bunch of yeah, just sober-minded people, you know, with with their uh, uh, protractors in their pocket and you know speaking soberly about uh, the the great the greats of about uh, the. Uh, who did Apple fall on the head? It's escaping oh, me. Isaac, Isaac Newton. Newton yes. Thank you. Yep. No, that's not going to happen. It's going to be Eric or Tyson or that that dude who hosted that. Cosmo yeah, Tyson. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Carl Sagan, who's dead. Yeah. Uh, so, who's who's in a place now where he is is reliving all the arguments and debates that uh, that he was wrong about uh, for all of eternity. Yes. I mean, this is I mean, do you feel like you'd be cornered if they all these scientists showed up and are, we would finally be look like we're the cave dwellers we are? I don't believe that for a second, Steve, do you? No, I no I don't. I I think that this is this is an example where now you're not talking about a cherished victim class of the population, but this, I do think, is an example where you take Matt Walsh's advice, which is what you were alluding to, roll tape. And I think you put this everywhere, everywhere for the average American to see that when these people say science, the word does not mean what you think it means, Aaron. Uh, last one. We haven't really talked about this specifically yet. Uh, the uh, This year's Oscar nominees for Best Picture are La La Land, Arrival, Moonlight, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, Lion in the Manchester by the Sea. Lion and the Ma- Manchester by the Sea. I, as I said earlier, I, I've seen four of these movies, which is a lot for me. I've seen Hidden Figures, which is tremendous. Hell or High Water, which is really good. Hacksaw Ridge, which is the best movie I saw in 2016. And what's the fourth movie on the list that I saw? Let's see. Hell or High Water? You said that? I already? mentioned that, yeah. Arrival? Nope. No, yeah, you saw Arrival, right? No. I did yeah. not see Rival. Hmm. I don't even know what Ar- Rival is. Arrival. Oh, Arrival. He yeah. said Rival. Arrival. Yeah, Arrival. Yes, that, that would be on my top ten list as well. That's a very good movie. So for me to see four of the, of the Academy Award Best Picture nominations is quite a bit. I've seen one. You're listening to Steve Dace. Justice and the way America should be. The Steve Day Show. 
So yesterday the Dow hit 20,000 for the first time ever. So what does that mean? Uh, Is that indicative of what the future may hold the next few years of a Trump presidency as far as the economy is concerned? Marvin McIntyre joins us. Uh, He has been ranked as the top financial advisor in Washington, D.C. by Barron's Magazine in the past. He also has a new book out, The Outsider, Invest in America, which we'll talk to him about as well. Marvin, my name is Steve Dace. Thanks for being on our show tonight. How are you? I'm terrific. Thanks for having me. So let's start with the book so that I don't forget before we get into uh, what's going on on the policy and economic front. Because I haven't had a chance to read it, but I was reading through a summary, and I'm like, you know, this plot sounds familiar to me, Marv. Tell me about it. There's no question that President Trump stole our playbook. It was either that or the Russians. Um, <laughs> but uh, we started, I wrote this to my son, which was terrific uh, to start with, and it was the third of a trilogy. But this was really, it's a standalone book, and sort of by accident, um, we ended up really paralleling a lot of the things that that did happen. How so? Give our audience an example of a couple of things, because for people that don't know, when you write a book, and it doesn't matter whether it's to a, if you self-publish it, you have a little bit more, or a little less lag time between when the manuscript is finished and when it goes to print. If you publish it through a mainstream publisher, it could get, it could take six months to a year before the book actually, unless it's on a rush because it's topical, which they only do a few times a year. So it's not like you could have been writing this in either scenario in real time while the campaign was going on and then claiming credit afterwards saying, yeah, we got this one right all Long, right? <laughs> no. Um, we started writing this about two and a half years ago. And um, we had uh, a central character from the other two, and we carried that, that one through. And he, his financial acumen was um, obvious. He was a multi-billionaire financial businessman whose mantra really was that the end justifies the means. So he was different from any other. Um, he came in really as an independent, which you, you um, the Washington Post had shortly after Trump was elected say this is, was the first independent president. If you looked, and this sort of shocked us, if you looked at his inaugural speech, um, the speech that uh, our candidate's inaugural speech was really similar um, so I'd like to say this was because uh, we can foretell the future or we're prescient or something. Um, but a lot of it was just because we were expressing our personal beliefs. So we look at, let's take your storyline, which proves that uh, life imitates art and truth is stranger than fiction. And let's let's now go and, and, and project into the real world. And you mentioned Trump's inaugural address. Uh, about 65% of Americans in a Gallup poll a couple days ago uh, said that they liked the address, which I, makes some sense to me um, because I, it, it lacks some words a hardcore conservative like me wanted to hear, but it had a lot of very pro-America sentiments throughout that the average American, unless they're just a hardened progressive on the left, would likely agree with. Uh, we've seen the Dow already go over to 20,000. We've seen... Several companies say they're going to reinvest in America and and have more jobs here. We've seen companies like Boeing say, "You're right. This uh, could uh, these costs could be cut, so we're going to do so." So is this just a honeymoon period? Do you think, Marvin? Or if you were advising clients right now, based on the early signs of the Trump era, what would you be telling them to do with their money? Well, <clears throat> let's let's look at it another way because I can get into sketchy areas if I if I do that because I do that. That's my real job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look at it this way. This is 
this is certainly not unlikely when you have somebody, um, he outworked the other candidate to start with. He's, uh, there's no grass growing under his feet now. He's got a pro-growth agenda. When you talk about lowering taxes, when, when you talk about um, reducing bureaucracy, um, these, are, these are things that are going to absolutely help the economy. So uh, it was not unusual that his election, almost like everyone anticipated uh, when Brexit came, that markets would drop because of the uncertainty. There's a lot of uncertainty with Trump, but what there's not... There's not a lot of lack of confidence on his part, mm-hmm. and he's going through. I know that he meets with, um, and this should make you as a as a hardline conservative happy, but I know that there were a lot of folks um, from the Heritage Foundation on mm-hmm. his transition team, mm-hmm. which was not dissimilar from Reagan's. Mm-hmm. So he he has his own agenda, and no one will probably agree to everything on his agenda, but he's pushing it through. And who can't? Who can't enjoy, who can't like the fact that he goes to a Boeing and this is too much money. One of the nation's top financial advisors, Marvin McIntyre, is here with us looking at the Trump economy, as well as talking about his new book, The Outsider. More in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. It's not about the next election. It's about the next generation. Steve Dace. Back here with Marvin McIntyre, ranked by Forbes, one of the top financial advisors in America in 2016. Looking ahead to the Trump economy, we also just got done talking about his new book, The Outsider. You know, as a financial advisor, timing is everything, right? So... How much of this early positive buzz where Trumponomics is concerned isn't necessarily ideology or his version of leadership, but the timing of uh, Americans went through just went through a presidency, which in eight years we had two quarters where growth even approached what the average was under Bill Clinton, for example. Only two quarters that were above 3%. I think the average under Bubba was 3.9. How much of it is, you know what, right now we're so tired of malaise, we're so tired of of stagnation, that, that we just, we are anxious for something positive, so we're ready to win again. How much of this is timing? One of the reasons is that, again, you have the pro-growth agenda, but the second reason there that I think that things are doing well is because there really aren't comfortable alternatives. You, you obviously in fixed income, you can't, you know, you can't get an interest rate that makes you comfortable. And if rates do rise under his administration, which, if you have the growth, that's going to happen, then those aren't going to be as valuable either. So it's like number one stocks, and the U.S. is in better shape than anybody else. So they've continued to do that. I don't think I don't think investors have missed the boat. It all depends on your time frame. Tariffs, imports, customs duties, these are things he has been threatening, been advocating. Uh, I, your view, I'm not even going to say what my own view on this is, because I don't want to taint the question at all, but, but your view on how that fits into a pro-growth agenda. Yeah, the, the, the protectionism is, is, is not attractive to, to, to that. Um, and again, uh, it could be a bully pulpit. We don't know. 
See, because I think a lot of that is art of the deal stuff, and it's worked so far. But, Marvin, don't you think sooner or later a company's going to call his bluff and say, okay, let's see if you can get a 30% tariff through Congress then. Let's see how that works. Don't you think somebody eventually in the next four years is going to call his bluff on some of this stuff? Yeah, I think somebody is. But you know what? We saw from the last eight years, the president not only has the power you expect, sometimes they have unexpected power. And, I mean, the, the... financial industry is reeling from this DOL, um, Department of Labor, uh, executive order that President Obama made. And so you're going to have to be, particularly if his success, you know, what was his popularity when he came in, 37%? Then I saw somewhere with 57% now. So if you're going against that rising tide, um, you're not going to be Exxon, <laughs> but but. You're probably not going to be Amazon. Who who are you going to be that are going against that rising tide? Hmm. So uh, it it could certainly happen, and it could certainly happen if if you have somebody that's a uh, you know a very left leaning company that feels very comfortable with themselves. But uh, I I wouldn't bet against Trump. Final question: If you were the White House's financial advisor. What are they advocating or flirting with right now that you would say to them, Marvin, absolutely don't do that? It, it, wouldn't, be, um, it wouldn't be financial. I would, I would say just make sure, make sure of your numbers, right? Mm-hmm. The idea, number one, the corporate tax, we and, and, and the outsider, we said the corporate tax should be 15%. And we didn't have it really be a congressional thing. We had the people. We told the people why it should be done. And through social media, again, which Trump used very effectively, right, um, that ended up being the case. So that, I think on the economic side, you have to do those things first. And you have to get, there's no reason we should be the highest, you know, pay the highest taxes in the world. That's just ridiculous. So you cut that down. You make the taxes simpler and fair. Cut out some of the deductions. Make it easier for people to fill out a tax return. It's absolutely ridiculous. And if you're doing these things, and then don't, you know, don't don't jump off the cliff. Don't pander to the lobbyists. You got a chance here. And again, if he, if they continue using our playbook, you you've, you've got a chance here to really make a difference and lessen the lobbyists' hold. And maybe. Just maybe take some of the intransient nature of of uh, Congress and and make it more amenable to to getting this country working again. Marvin McIntyre has been ranked one of the top financial advisors in the country by Forbes, the top financial advisor in Washington D.C. by Barrons. You can check out his new book, The Outsider: Invest in America. Thanks for joining us tonight, Marvin. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Good talking with you. Take care. Some quick reaction we just heard from Marvin McIntyre when I asked him particularly at the end, when I asked him, hey, what are they talking about right now that you would tell them as a financial advisor, one of the top in America, not to do? And he paused for a moment and he said, instead, a list of things he'd like them to do. And I thought to myself, you know, I've heard these things too before. It sounded like a lot of the stuff we were, that Ted Cruz was saying during the Republican primary uh, last year is a lot of stuff that Marv would actually like to see Donald Trump go out and do, Todd. Yeah, if I heard him correctly, and I want to ask you to see if I'm right on this, that he, he basically thinks... 
set aside the philosophy of tariffs and what it does or doesn't mean for open markets. Let's just talk about a basic ledger that he's basically saying that because of uh, tax, uh, smaller government uh, regulation, opening things up for business, getting the engine of the economy going, that even though the tariff would perhaps do what you have talked about in the past, passed on the cost to consumer, that in the end, at worst, it would be a wash. Is that what I'm hearing from him? I did not get that from him at all. Uh, so you got a very optimistic read. I actually, I actually got the feeling that he thought the entire thing was a terrible idea, and and he even used the term negotiating ploy. That he thinks it's being used as a um, as a proverbial gun from the bully pulpit to head, uh, or hand the hand of the bully pulpit to the head of corporate America. But it, from a policy standpoint, but it was clear to me he didn't think it was a good when idea. When you brought at all. up it, though, he said, "Don't bet against Trump on that." No, he said, "Don't bet against him trying to find a way to impose it around Congress." And he said, hey, the last president showed us that people, if there's no will to stop them, the presidency can just do all kinds of things with powers that we didn't even know they had because there's no, there's no check and balance. I think that's what he was alluding to is the idea that don't bet against Trump trying to just find some way to impose this by fiat because he's taking over for somebody that imposed things by fiat, Aaron. Yeah, and just uh, quickly in closing, I, again, I'm, I'm hit with the enormous opportunity, especially when a few months ago uh, none of us thought we'd be having these conversations. Uh, the enormous opportunity that's in front of all of us, but especially the Trump administration, you better hope that they don't screw it up and do all you can to keep them accountable. We'll come back and wrap things up here in a moment. Listening to Steve Dace. From the front lines of the battle for liberty, the Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Now's the time when we take a look back, ask ourselves what it is that we learned here tonight. So, Aaron, I'll begin with you. What did you learn? Uh, the thing that we were um, criticizing, at least I was, I'll speak for myself, criticizing Donald Trump for yesterday, not using the bully pulpit effectively today. This has been probably my favorite moment of the Trump uh, presidency so far. Yeah, he's called out the media, um, and he's always going to do that. But when he used his bully pulpit to call out the media on the issue of abortion and um, not covering the March for Life, which is one of the largest, if not the largest uh, march, a uh, human rights march, in, at least the Western Hemisphere, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, if When he called them out, that was my favorite moment so far of the Trump presidency, because that's that's really where you can start an argument. Maybe Trump's not the one to make that argument, or to even complete it, or be any any part of that argument, but at least he started one, and that's, that's I think, uh, that's the takeaway that I, that I come away with. In fact, there was some news we didn't get to from earlier today. Uh, Chili's was making news late last night. Two of their state franchisers were going to do um, we're going to do uh, um, fundraisers for Planned Parenthood and there was such a backlash against that 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 has been canceled as well this is one of the best days of pro-life news frankly I can never remember Todd what'd you learn tonight I learned that our branding for our new CRTV show may be out of our hands at this point if Twitter gets a hold of our uh, Seven Dwarfs nicknames for good or for bad I don't know but that it it could we be, may it have could, launched this thing. It could be no snark, and what was yours again? I forgot. Bitter. Bitter, yes. No snark and bitter, yes. 
Did we nail it? We did. Uh, you know, when you look at what went down today, I go back to what I said last night. This is the best week in terms of our issues people like us have had. You know, I started doing this. I made the move full-time from sports to news in June of 2006 when I made the switch, so a little over a decade ago. By that time, the Bush presidency was essentially over, bogged down in the quagmire of Iraq. So, I, I mean, this might be, in terms of news, headlines, and direction of the country, this might be the best week in my career. Really? So I, I, when, you, when you stop and think about it, because we were, we were basically, the Bush presidency was over when I, when, I, when I made the switch from sports to news. After that, we had eight years of Obama. This might be the best week of my career. Am I blowing this out of proportion? No, because low bar. But also, you know you're sitting there like I am, and you're waiting for the anvil to come down on your well, head, Well, I'm, right? I'm total depravity. I'm always waiting for the anvil <laughs> to fall. Trump or no Trump. Yes, it wouldn't matter who was in. I'm, I'm waiting. There was a popular song in the 80s when we were kids, Waiting for a Star to Fall. I'm, my, my remake would be Waiting for the Anvil to Fall. Okay? I mean, I think I'm always, I'm always waiting for the Acme <laughs> box to hit me over yeah. the head. Okay? That may be a man card violation that you just referenced that song. <laughs> yes, it probably was Kaja Gugu. You're right. John 317. You're listening to Steve Dace. 